I don't have a lot of papers for you. I, I am by nature a digital person. I don't do paper very much. So I didn't provide you paper notes. My um, PowerPoint is, however, attached to my SCED session. So if you are on SCED, you can go find this session and it's downloadable. You can download the PowerPoint um, and have what you need with that. You also get kind of the raw notes with it. So you get to see my kind of script notes and stuff too, but hopefully there's nothing in there that I wouldn't want you to have. There is one piece to that puzzle I do have to very specifically ask. I have permission from the national office to show you a video um, that is normally uh, something you need to purchase. Okay, so when you get my uh, SCED PowerPoint, I'm going to trust you. You're on the honor system, okay? Don't extract that video and go start sharing it with everyone, okay? So thank you in advance for your integrity with that. Thank you. Okay, this was handed out, though. However, this is one thing I did hand out for, um, or I had some friends help me hand out for this session, and it's um, the eight goals we're going to talk about today. And this is, there's um, uh, oodles of these available. I have some here and at the kid men table out at the front near the registration. So if you want one or two more of these until they're gone, you can help yourself. All right. So there's that. So in case you are not sure, you're sitting in the strong enough to last session. And uh, my name is Julie Pratt. Um, Pastor Stacy Petty, who is our um, Kidman director, needed to scoot out, had some things that have come up, and so she asked if I minded. I said, that's fine, more time for me. Um, uh, but I did, just in case, because there are a lot of you I know or have met, and a lot of you I haven't met, so very briefly, who I am. I am Julianne Pratt. I usually just go by Julie. Um, and my husband Shelby and I uh, pastor Hope Church here in Ohio, actually about 30 minutes kind of northwest of here. We're pretty close. Um, we planted that church a couple years ago. We just celebrated our two-year birthday. That is a completely huge God-sized experience and story that I would love to share with you. Just can't right now, but if you're interested at all in that whole aspect of ministry, of course I would love to share that story. Um, but uh, we've been married 23 years, been in ministry 22. We have three amazing children, 17, 12, and 10, Anna, Chloe, and Samuel. And of course, they all have wonderful stories that come with them too. So I'm always willing to talk about them. And um, <laughs> you can come and ask me about them too. Um, if you're trying to figure out how to get in touch with me, again, this will be in the presentation, but if, that's, if you're just not quite as techie, this is the way to write it down. I do have a website, julianpratt.com, and then my email would be julie at julianpratt.com, or you can go find my church website and find us through there. Either way is fabulous. I uh, love interaction, and a lot of people come after the fact and send emails, shoot them my way. Bring them on. I love it. The role that I fill in Ohio for Ohio Ministry Network is I'm called a Kidman rep. I hate this word, at large. <laughs> I've been begging him, please, to come up with another name. And Lacey promises me they're working on it. Uh, that just means I'm available to anyone in the state of Ohio for help, for coaching, for consultation, for a shoulder, if you're just dying and you need a safe ear, whatever that looks like for you, I'm available to you in that way. So um, that's also part of what I do with Ohio. So 
There is your information. Oh, I have to show you this. Look, oh, you can't see it very well. So as part of our God-sized story, God has given us this amazing building. It's a barn that's been completely renovated, and it's our church. And it is just like built-in cool factor. I mean, you don't hardly have to do anything. And so um, God is cool. He's just super awesome with, with what he's done for us. So everything we're doing today, I want to be sure to put this disclaimer out there. Everything I'm telling you today comes from a book that I did not write, okay? This comes out of our national office. It was um, published almost exactly a year ago, February of 2017, and um, really started to uh, be rolled out to us leaders uh, in April of last year. Uh, it articulates something I've been championing for a long time. And so when Stacy was like, what do you want to teach this year? I was like, that, you know, let me start uh, talking about it. So this uh, book is kind of in a very concise way uh, explaining what I'm saying to you today. Therefore, I recommend that you purchase this book. Uh, the money doesn't come to me. It goes straight to the national office. So if you don't already own this, it's available to purchase today. You can see Lacey. Hi, Lacey. Uh, she will sell it to you. If you miss one of us after this and you're wanting to buy it, it's at the na uh, excuse me at the office, uh, the Kidman table up by the registration, or you can find it online. It's uh, definitely available through our national, uh, myhealthychurch.com is our um, publishing house, and it can even be purchased on Amazon. You're just going to pay more, okay? So this is $10. I just want to make sure that you hear it. Um, so we're talking about the eight goals, things that we want to incorporate into the lives of kids in our ministries that make their faith walk strong enough to last, hence the title, Okay. So we, um, as kids pastors, as family pastors, let me also pause, pause, tink, tink. By the way, I'm visually impaired. So periodically I may stop and really glance at that because I need the help of my computer with things. So don't get all awkward on me, okay? All right, anyway, back to business. Okay, our goal as leaders is to help our parents do their part in laying the spiritual foundation with kids um, so that their faith lasts past uh, 10 years old, past teen years, past that college that we get really anxious about with our students. Uh, we want it to last for a lifetime. And so we have been talking a lot lately about how do we do that? What do we need to do to make this stick? How do we get it to stick? with our kids. And so I want to lay a little groundwork before we get into these eight goals, okay? Because it's out of this groundwork that these eight goals have uh, really been articulated. Um, if you're familiar with Barna, Barna, George Barna has a company that does quite a few uh, studies, that's what they do exclusively, um, on uh, faith culture, how it's happening, what's happening, the factors involved in, in all kinds of aspects with related to church. So not just about kids. Um, and they're not associated with any denomination. They're not associated with any particular church. So in many ways, they're, they're relatively neutral. And so we look to them semi-frequently for some results. Now, they did a uh, youth culture study recently, um, just looking at what were the factors that helped a kid remain a believer into adulthood. 
And what they found were a few things uh, continually rose to the top in that discussion. And I want to talk to you about that because four of the six factors that they point to occur before a kid turns 10 years old. So those of us who are in kids' ministry, we want to recognize we're truthfully in the most critical years of a kid's life. And that matters. That matters. We need to maybe take things a little more seriously than we do when we're ministering to kids because we are critical in the factors that will help them to remain a believer all the way through adulthood. Okay, so some of those things are uh, Christian faith is deeply embedded in their family, right? This feels really logical. They're raised in a home that has a deep Christian faith. Therefore, they are immersed in it growing up. They see it as normal, and that normalization of the practice of their faith has a deep impact on what they choose to do as adults. This is why I feel so strongly that Kidman should be investing sometimes more energy into the parents than into those kids. Not because I don't think those kids are important. I was a kids pastor for 22 years. But because those parents are the primary influencers. And now we have studies that prove it's the parents and how the parents choose to invest into the spiritual life of their kids. So let us invest into those parents and to help them. Okay, So that's one factor that we can point to as uh, a reason that they remain a believer as an adult. Next is that they have at least three Christian adult mentors in their life. Now, this is really interesting because we have really invested a lot of energy into the large group experience in children's church. All the, the lights and the, the staging and all of these things that impact the large group experience is important. Actually, I'll make a case for that in a little while. But what seems to really be important is that they have some significant individual relationships with spiritual mentors. Now, this is not necessarily mom and dad. It's usually children's pastor, small group leader, um, another adult in their church who invests in them on a one-to-one or one-to-three small ratio Level. Now, we understand that conceptually with adults, but I'm not sure yet that we understand how very important that is with our littler kids. Okay? So, this has been uh, shown to be an important factor in a person remaining in the faith into adulthood. We need to take that to heart. Okay? This is one of my favorite that they are involved in ministry service before they're 10 years old. There are a lot of churches that disallow the young kids from doing things like greeting, like being on the stage helping to lead worship, because that messes with the vibe. These kids need to be serving. We have uh, a lot of information that shows us that by the age of 10, and this is what we're talking about, they have developed not just their core belief system, but their values and the practice of their faith. So if you are at all involved in the adult volunteer world and you're bemoaning the, I can't get people to volunteer, this is where you start. Get them to help, one, 
and start teaching them that that's an integral part of the life of a believer. Okay? So we need to, we need to get down and dip down into that younger age group, both for service and for the development of their conviction towards service as a part of their life as a believer. Here we are. I told you I was going to come back to this. One of the elements is going to a church that they see as cool. This is actually one of those trends that I'm, I'm kind of okay with because I have an understanding of kids and what, uh, what drives them today. Okay? I will make the case till I'm blue in the face when we start talking about kids have a short attention span that that's not the case. Kids don't have a short attention span. They have a filter, and it's about seven seconds long. And if in those seven seconds they decide you're worth their time and attention, they'll give it to you. But if they decide it's not, they're out. That's because they live in an instant culture, right? Everything is right there and available to them. So the cool factor matters. It just kind of does. Now, that doesn't mean smoke and lights and strobe lights and disco balls. That means things that engage them, that excite them, that draw them in, that make them decide to give you more than seven seconds. Cool factor matters. So pause for a minute. Get in your mind's eye your spaces. Get in your mind's eye your uh, teaching approaches. Do they qualify as cool? Might be something to think about. Now here's the meat of the matter for me. God has always intended that a church and parents partner. That we do this together for the benefit of our kids. To pass on the spiritual faith from generation to generation. Now I love, I was sitting in uh, Harriet's session earlier where she talked about the story in Samuel because it's the one that I always point to when I talk about kids ministry. It's one of my favorite because it's God's plan to teach the children, to speak to the children, to uh, use them in his ministry, but we, we kind of shuffle past those kids. We think they don't have the spiritual depth. They don't have the cognitive ability to really engage in spiritual matters. They just can't get it. It's too otherworldly. It's not concrete enough. And I would say, au contraire. And the Bible shows us a very good example that that is not true. And that is the story of Samuel. It's one of my favorite stories, partly because my son's name is Samuel. But I named him because of this story, because it's one of my favorite. He's named after Samuel in the Bible. In this story, we know it, right? Samuel hears the voice of God. And there's two things that I see happen with Kidman. Sometimes we treat this story as if Samuel is just a unique little kid. He had this really special ability to hear from God. And the way that translates to every other kid is, well, I'm not special enough. So I'm not going to hear from God. So that's one failure that I think as Kidman we can be guilty of. The other is we just really find it difficult to believe he actually heard the voice of God. We treat it as kind of this, here's something that might have happened. Kind of like the story of Jonah and the whale. Some of us really wrestle with, did that actually happen? Yes. Did Samuel actually hear God? Yes. 
And if we point to that and we look at that, we can see they are never too young to encounter God. So my goal, my passion is to encourage you, encourage you, whatever role you have in kids' ministry, uh, to expect more. Expect them to gain more than just a nugget or a big idea. I know we formulate our whole um, lesson plan around the big idea of the day is, but expect it to sink down into depth, into better understanding, into personal interaction because of those things we've learned about kids and what keeps them as believers through their whole life. Strong enough to last. All right. I want to move on, and I'm going to start first by showing you this video. This is Mark Ensminger. Uh, Mark Ensminger is our national kids ministry director. And uh, as I said, this is uh, as a book and as ideas. It's just been rolled out in the last year, and the way he did it was with a video. And so I want to share it with you. He very succinctly runs through these eight goals, and then after that's over, we're going to unpack it. Okay, so your yellow page that I handed to you is is a pretty uh, simple explanation. He's also going to say it, and then we'll dive into it after this video is over. At the Assemblies of God National Leadership and Resource Center, we believe that the church and home have the best opportunity to secure faith in the next generation when they have shared goals regarding a child's discipleship journey. What a powerful movement could be created if we all work together with the same end in mind. What if churches and homes across the nation would all adopt and focus their attention on helping every child who's a follower of Christ attain these eight goals before they transition out of children's ministry? This next session will help provide you with a simple overview of these eight goals, which are powerful in prayer, responsive in worship, spirit-empowered, biblically fluent, actively serving, bold in faith, giving selflessly, and living like Christ. Let's journey together to explore additional insights to what each goal could mean as you work collaboratively with parents to equip both the church and the home. Now, please note, goals are only as good as their ability to be measured. However, measuring someone's spiritual growth can be a delicate conversation. We must be cautious to avoid impressing on children that they are a failure if they have not achieved one of our goals. Additionally, not everything that contributes to a child's lifelong faith is easily observable or measurable. Please do not confuse achieving these goals as being equal with spiritual maturity or having a deeply rooted faith. When these goals are paired with a child who hears and responds to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he shapes them into the image of Christ, it creates a powerful foundation to continue building upon. It would be our recommendation that churches get in the habit of evaluating the kind of ministry they offer to children. In other words, how does the environment kids are in support moving in the direction of achieving these goals? Also, when you put these in the context of the three M's of Kidman, which is covered in a different training video, you can help your leaders, parents, and yourself be equipped to move kids from where they are today to being closer to who God is shaping them be tomorrow. Are you ready? 
Let's dive in. Our first goal is quite simply to be powerful in prayer. Prayer, as we know, is communication with God. It's our dream that every child will know that they should thank God for the good things that he brings their way, but also know that their faith changes things. It would be our desire that kids understand the importance of daily conversations with their Heavenly Father and that they would see miraculous happen as a direct result of their prayers. Prayer should become normal for them. So our second goal is simply this, to be responsive in worship. Our life should be lived as an offering of praise unto God. It is because of Him that we are able to have life and do the things that we want to do or that he has for us. When it comes to corporate worship, encourage children to explore a variety of ways that they can express their gratitude to the Lord for his goodness in their lives, in addition to singing. Help kids see their lives as an expression of worship to their Heavenly Father. And the moments where singing or dancing in church allow for collective praise to rise in heaven, maximize those moments, but don't confuse kids to think that that's the only way that they can worship is by singing. Goal number three is to be spirit-empowered. John the Baptist declared of Jesus, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Over the years, many people have attempted to help out the Word of God by adding commentary based on their previous experiences to what the Word of God declares about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The goal of spirit empowerment definitely includes the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. But it also reveals what spirit-empowered life looks like for the everyday believer today. Kids should have a solid biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit and the confidence that he will empower them for a daily life. Our fourth goal is to be biblically fluent. There's a lot to be said about biblical literacy. It's really important that children be able to read the Bible with sufficient understanding for life, that they have the knowledge of how to engage the text and gather its meaning, that kids memorize the scriptures and even facts about the Bible, and that they have a basic understanding of the timeline and the characters that it covers. Biblical fluency, however, builds on top of that with an additional expectation that it has permeated their heart and their mind to the point where their thoughts, conversations, and actions are shaped according to what the Word of God says. In the same way that people may be able to be literate in a foreign language and get by, language fluency takes it to a whole new level. Our goal is that kids are biblically literate and exhibiting actions consistent with also being fluent in the Word of God, where biblical fluency shapes their heart their mind, and their thinking. Our fifth goal is to be actively serving. If there's one thing that American Christians may need the most perspective shift in, it's the importance of serving. It's become far too easy to help by clicking a button on a computer but never actually expending any energy to serve others. Ministry, true ministry, is important. So within the goal of getting kids to serve actively, people should consider serving in the home, serving in the church, and serving in the community. Although serving in the home and church are much easier to facilitate and, quite honestly, could be safer, a community-based service project 
has the potential for the greatest amount of life impact in a child. Our sixth goal is to be bold in faith. Jesus gave us all a great commission to live out. We're to go into all the world. Our world is hurting and in need of an embrace from their Heavenly Father. The children in your ministry are drawing closer to God each and every day. They have tasted and seen and they know that the Lord is good. Help them find ways to talk about the goodness of God. This is critical in helping them become bold in their faith. Help kids learn the skills necessary to open doors for conversations about God. And don't overcomplicate the process to make it seem like it's out of reach. Our seventh goal is called giving selflessly. If children can properly understand that everything, and I mean everything, belongs to the Father, including our money, and that we've been trusted to use it according to what's in his heart, it would change the conversation the church will have for decades to come. When children understand this, the answers to the question of, should I give to meet this need, become entirely different. When they understand that God's heart is to care for the orphan the, and the widow, that God wants people to hear about the hope for the future, that he looks after the poor, they begin to understand that the money that they have been entrusted with must be used to extend the heart of God into those exact places. Well, our eighth goal is simply this. It's living like Christ. This one could be very broad. In fact, all of the other seven could probably be wrapped up inside of this one. So for the purposes of the eight goals for Assemblies of God Children's Ministries, we'd like the church leaders and parents to consider the following two areas of focus that are not covered in the other areas of the list of these goals. The first would be to help the child to follow the instructions of Christ. And the two chief of these would be observing communion and being baptized in water. And the second one would be to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that concludes our eight goals segment. Um, I really hope that you've been inspired by these eight. That you've taken some notes and you've got some ideas of ways you can encourage the home and the way you can craft your children's ministry experience to move kids in a direction towards these eight goals. Remember, there's no perfect solution for every child. There's really no way to guarantee that when you do these things, it's going to ensure that every kid has a lifelong faith in Christ. But I think it's important to know where we're headed and our direction is. And so I would encourage you, whether you adopt these eight goals as your own, or whether you explore your own series of goals, to have something written down and to make sure your leaders, your church, and your parent, parents are all moving in that same direction. We'd love to hear from you and know how these eight goals or others are making a difference in your ministry. Thanks for watching this. God's plan was to b b build a memorial for the future of the kids so that they would not forget what has come before. And I think that we, to do that, must develop a blueprint, a plan. So as we talk about eight goals, we're not talking about a teaching series. I'm not talking about a two-month series that you do one a week with your kids. These eight goals are intended to be a blueprint or a grid is the word I like to use through which 
every element of your ministry runs. That you look at everything that you're doing and you evaluate how am I accomplishing these eight goals in my kids' ministry. The question we try to answer is, when my kids leave my ministry, what will they possess? Or specifically, will they possess these eight goals? And so if you lay that blueprint or that grid beside everything that you do uh, in planning, because you do long-range planning, right? And you begin to compare the two. What should happen is you should notice gaps. You should say, oh, you know what? I haven't done enough to help my kids get into service. Or the one that many kid men struggle with is, I have not dwelled enough on the spirit empowerment because it's hard, it's difficult for kids to understand because I have a hard time understanding it. And we leave a gap. And then what happens is those kids walk out of our ministry with gaps. So the point of what we're talking about here is that you begin to develop a philosophical mindset that aids in the development of a blueprint or a grid through which everything you do in this age group runs and helps you to know that you're doing everything you can to send kids into their next season as solidly as they can because that's where we feel and believe and have statistical evidence that it matters and that they, they stay in the faith. Okay, so based upon all of that, let's move into these eight goals, okay? So I know that this page isn't verbatim what you just heard, so please don't get confused by it, okay? They keep honing these goals. They keep really working on them and massaging them because they want it to be really attainable, very understandable. Are any of you in education? Anybody? This is outcomes-based. Okay, so if you are an educator, which I am uh, bivocational, I'm actually tri-vocational, but as a teacher, we talk a lot in our classrooms about outcomes-based planning. We're trying to decide what the outcome will be, and then we plan accordingly, okay? So we're bringing this into our church settings and saying, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve, okay? So these are where we are currently landing. The goal here is that every kid's ministry in the country is channeling everything through this grid because then we have greater, if you will, success rate. I hate that jargon, but that's really what it is we're trying to accomplish, that we have this greater percentage of kids who stay in the faith through these things, okay? So let's, let's go into the first one. Powerful in prayer. Prayer is so multifaceted. It's so powerful. And kids need to learn all of those elements. They need to um, learn how to pray, how to to craft a prayer, how to pray for help, how to pray for healing, how to pray for courage and wisdom, strength, comfort, how to pray salvation for themselves and with others, how to pray for direction. It's our pipeline to God. 
And so we need to teach them how they can accomplish all of these multifaceted things because it reveals the nature of God when they have that experience. They begin to have a response from God and they begin to understand who he is, that he is responsive, that he is a personal and intimate God who will respond when we reach out to him. And so not only do they discover God, but they experience his presence when they pray. And that's so important for them to, uh, to have some understanding of. And so here's some things, okay? I know it's small. I'm sorry. That's so bad for all you graphic designers. This is bad news. Let me read it to you, the visually impaired lady. All right. One of the best ways to do this, okay, let's get to the practicals. Give prayer prominence in your services. If you are an Uber planner like I am in my service orders, I have each element of a service plotted out down to the number of minutes I want to spend on that. But in that service order is very definitely more than one prayer slot. And I am always open to the Holy Spirit taking over. So let's just make that clear. But I absolutely make certain that it's in every element of what we do. We normalize prayer. We normalize turning to God when they ask a question. Well, let's ask God for that. We make it prominent. We make it a a response, a default response in interaction. Make sure that they know that prayer is about more than just asking for help. Because sometimes we go... Jesus, help me do good on my test. Jesus, heal this person. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. But what about just the, Jesus, I just thank you. You're so good. I just thank you. We're teaching them about going to God all the time, in every season, for any reason, okay? So it has to have prominence. Let me tell you something. You, as leaders, best model this by demonstrating your love for prayer. If it comes across with a, we must be in this posture, a kid does not read, oh, they love to pray. A kid reads, oh, this is something that I have to do. But when you lean into it, I love getting to talk to God. Man, they immediately dial in on what you're doing. They sense, I love this. This is just one of my favorite things to do, okay? So if you want your kids to really get into prayer, model it. Show them how much you love it because you've had an encounter with God. And let them know you can have an encounter with God too, okay? Next, responsive in worship. Worship introduces kids to intimacy with God. Kids can absolutely have intimate relationship with God. I love this. It moves kids from the position of the one I've learned about to the one I love. It's moving past a factual to a emotional. And emotion is okay. We, we, we push back about this concept of emotion in our, our spiritual life, but emotion is good because it's out of that that we love. Don't we love our God, our Savior? So we want our kids who dwell pretty much 99.9% of their life in very concrete. We want them to move in that 0.01% or whatever's left, because I'm not a math teacher, into the emotional aspect or the intimate relationship 
with Christ. As they show love to God, that's when he pours his love into them. Okay? So let's talk about ways you can help uh, develop responsiveness in worship. Okay? The song element, absolutely. That's where we see it and experience it the most. And a whole other conversation for another day is how do I get my older boys to engage in worship? We'll talk about that some other day or come talk to me afterward because I know that's where we struggle a lot of times. But here's the reality. It's not the only place to teach them how to respond in worship. Okay? There may be what I call an interlude element. Okay? We're well past worship. We're doing some other thing and we need to pause and let's just thank God for this. You're coming up on Easter. You're going to be telling them all about what did Jesus do for you. I just need to pause for a minute. I thank Jesus for that. You've provided an interlude. You've shown them how to be responsive in that moment as you're teaching. You're showing them. It's okay. Pause. Let's just thank him for that. You want to thank him for that, kids? And they're always like, yes! Great, let's do it right now. Okay? What about during the message response? Do you have physical, responsive opportunities at the end of your lesson other than let's pray okay now I'm not here to promote curriculum but I'm going to tell you one thing if you use true fire it's built into that curriculum for you it has a firm handle on this if you don't use true fire Let's talk, because you can absolutely develop it and incorporate it into what you're doing with whatever curriculum you have. But make sure that you're really running your lesson plans through the grid. Is this happening? Okay? During an altar call or prolonged prayer time, I hope that you have those in your kids' services. We do it in the adult services, but we're so concerned about getting to that final game that we shortchange this piece of this um, ministry. And I'm all about games. I mean, I'm the one that's like, bring it on! But first, let's pause. Let's just spend some time in prayer. And let me tell you, kids love it. But it needs to be interactive. It needs to be in movement. There needs to be some directed, let's go do this. Now, some of you need to go over here and do this. But that prolonged time in prayer is teaching them to be responsive, okay? There's a whole lot in here. This is actually a lecture from my college class. So if you are finding my notes on SCED, you're going to find there's a whole lot in here that I'm not going to tell you about today. But go and do it because I'll break it down even more for you. If you uh, want to go read it, you can do it. But let's, let me just tell you this. You best model worship by providing, here's a really important word, intentional opportunities to experience intimacy with God. Once again, it comes back to that blueprint. If you have sat uh, and planned your lesson, you've planned your children's church service sooner than Sunday morning at 8 a.m., then you can set it down next to the grid and say, have I made sure to leave room? Have I made sure to put that extra element in to help encourage my kids to be responsive in worship? Yes, it's absolutely planned. The Holy Spirit interrupts and intervenes, but we have to organize our time also, okay? So I'll make that case again and again and again. 
biblically fluent. We want to teach kids how to know God's word and how to apply it to our lives. This My Start journal is amazing. If you weren't in that earlier session, you need to go talk to Harriet right here. Her journal is amazing. If you guys have Junior Bible Quiz, that's an amazing tool. They need to know the facts of the Bible, okay? So fluency, like Mark said, fluency involves having clear knowledge of what is in the scripture. But then we have to make sure that we take that next step and show them that all of this scripture, this entire book is a guidebook for our lives. It applies to us from Genesis through Revelation. Don't get trapped in the New Testament, my friends. They need the Old Testament to understand the New Testament, okay? That's a soapbox for me. We are guilty as kidmen of going to the New Testament, the New Covenant, but they need to understand. And you're going to have to make sure you understand it so you can unpack it for those kids. So you might need to do some studies to make sure you're ready to teach them. They need to be fluent. We have to teach it on a level they understand. We need to teach it in a way they understand, with concepts, with language, in ways that fit learning styles so they understand it. And if you do, it will just soak in. They're in the best years of their life to understand things cognitively. I mean, realistically, that's when you do scripture memorization. That's when you do all of these things because that's when they're like sponges. You can just pack all that stuff in there, which if you are like me, if anybody were to ask me now to memorize all the junior Bible quiz questions like I'm asking my kids to, I'd be like, I'm out. I cannot get that 10-point question to stick low on the 30-point, right? They're in such a fabulous stage for that. So let's, let's be really intentional. Now, what does that look like? That doesn't just mean they understand that it's in Scripture. It means you've made sure they know the books of the Bible. They can name them. That they understand Old Testament and New Testament. That's part of biblical fluency, okay? And that's not necessarily something that's going to land in a curriculum. That's a part of your blueprint that you've created. Do you see the difference? That means we have had to have some real intentional planning put in place to make certain that we don't leave a gap. We have to plan, okay? In here are again some notes, but you best develop that by pointing to God in every story and pointing to truth to integrate into their lives. The SOAP method. Have you taught your kids the SOAP method of reading scripture? If you're not familiar with it, we use the letters of the word SOAP. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's one of the most attainable and understandable, concrete methods you can use to teach your kids. Look at the scripture. What do you observe? What does that have to do with you? Now let's talk to God about it. Okay? You can Google it anywhere. You can Pinterest it if you're a Pinterest fan. You will find all kinds of tools with that. But really showing them that not only is this God's word, but it applies to me as part of biblical fluency. Okay? Spirit empowered. This is the one that scares a lot of people. Okay? That they have power for ministry. They have power for service. They have power for evangelism. And they have power to live for God for the rest of their lives. That no matter what is thrown at them, they can do it. And that's the spirit of God in them making it possible. 
you best develop it by teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. And again, here we go, providing, which means you've planned for it, providing opportunity to ask God for this great gift. You must make certain that it's woven in consistently into your kids' ministry, that you teach them they've been created, they've been given good gifts, that they can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They can speak in tongues. They're not too young. There are no junior Christians. In God's economy, that doesn't exist, does it? So then if we believe that, it should trickle down into this particular topic. Okay? Next one, giving selflessly. Compassion is a biblical value. It teaches us to care more about others than ourselves. And let's be honest, that is countercultural now. It wasn't always countercultural, but that's just not the natural bent of most people in our country, to care more for others than ourselves. We need to teach our children that everyone has equal value in God's eyes. And this is one of those places where you teach by doing. We can say it and say it and say it and say it, but we need to teach them by doing. So you need to provide opportunities on, on a smaller basis by hey, I noticed so-and-so sitting by themselves. Why don't you go see if they want to sit with you? Or, hey, you know, in my case, some of you who were in heard me say, I have a son who's got some special needs. And so I have a little boy. I keep going to him like, Cole, would you go ask Sam, who's my son, would you go ask Sam about the project he did this week? Cole goes right over to him, and then they sit for 30 minutes until I'm like, let's go, you know. But that's teaching compassion. Cole is just one of the most tender-hearted boys I've been around in a long time. He's nine years old. He recognizes Sam needs a friend. Now I'm going to be his friend. Right? That's teaching compassion. It can be on a much grander scale. It can be actual organized missions trips. You know, your kids can go do missions work. We don't have to wait till they're teenagers to go and do missions trips. And let me just put in a plug. We've got Missions Extreme coming. It's fifth grade through whatever. They're going to be going to Youngstown. It's one of my favorite trips of the year. My kids go as soon as they're old enough because it's an opportunity for them to begin engaging in mission. Okay? Leaders best develop selfless giving intentionally, presenting the spiritual needs of the world and teaching kids to view themselves as part of the solution. This also would include um, BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. I am always one to caution, let's not teach our kids to just throw money at missions, but to be sure we take that step that goes past and say, what can you do as part of missions around the world? Because even as a seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old, you can be a part by praying, by giving, and by going. I say all the time, has God ever talked to you about becoming a missionary? And what do you think? What are you going to do? My 12-year-old feels called to missions. I'm praying to God that sticks. I, all the time I pray, God, let's seal that on her heart. I don't care where she goes. I want her to obey you. And if that's what you want, let it stick. Now, she hates to be dirty and sweat <laughs> and she thinks God has called her to either India or Madagascar. And so the second half to my prayer is, God, do something about that whole hate and the sweat thing. 
Because if that's what it is, it's going to stop her. Oh, we need that gun. But we just keep talking about, it's possible. You can do this now, and you can do it when you become an adult. Okay? Actively serving. Uh, there's all kinds of studies that talks about how important it is to kids uh, to get to do. Uh, so let's tap into that. Let them do. Find ways, both in your kids' ministry and in the greater church community, to do. It can be everything from, would you just hand these out to people? Would you um, help me sweep up? To, would you be on the worship team? Would you be one of the singers? This is a great opportunity for kids. Uh, they really want to do, and it's, it's not so difficult. Let's create opportunities. Being bold in their faith. A kid who is thoroughly convinced of the promises in God's word, they've seen God work, they know the plan of salvation, is more likely to have the courage to talk about it. So let's help them. Let's resource them. Let's teach them. Let's give them the tools. Let's train them. Let's spend some time role-playing. So what would you do if so-and-so came up to you and said, you know, why do you pray before you eat? How would you respond? Let's, let's try it. Let's practice it. Because then when that actually happens, they're like, oh, we practice this. I know what to say. And they're going to respond with courage. So again, coming back to your blueprint, do you ever provide in the things you do in kids ministry? Very specifically, I want to teach you about personal evangelism. Is that something you do? Because if it's not, we want to work on that. We want to intentionally organize some events, organize a Saturday morning at your church. Hey, we're going we're gonna to get together as kids, and, and parents, I want you here because you want to be a part of this conversation with your kids at home. Let's practice. Let's teach our kids how to be courageous, okay, how to be bold. The job of kid men leaders is giving them the tools. Put the tool in their toolbox and teach them how to use it. My son does not know how to use a hammer, friends. If I hand him a hammer, he's going to take off his toes. Okay? So not only do you need to provide them the tool, show them how to use it. Show them how to do it courageously. Living like Christ, our desire is that every kid in our ministry would love and live for God the rest of their life. Therefore, Make all of these goals the guiding principles of your ministry. Regularly assess your effectiveness. Make your environments a space where kids discover God and develop a deep love for Him. Assess. Assess. Be intentional. Plan. Do what you need to do so that all of these pieces are regularly occurring in your ministry. Now, I'm not saying this is all, this all has to be packed in on Sunday morning from 10.30 to noon. A good ministry is more well-rounded than that, right? And the reality is, you and I both know, not every kid is at every one of your events. So it has to be creatively implemented. It can be these extra special things. It can be your midweeks. It can be your Sunday mornings. Maybe you have Sunday school. Maybe you have Sunday night. Maybe you plan some extra events that you are constantly looking at all of the ways you're implementing this and incorporating it so that over the lifetime that that kid is in your ministry, 
they're not just exposed to, but they're given many ways that this can develop within them so that they are strong enough to last. Let me pray over you. We've got just like just a few minutes. I'm sorry. Um, I'll pray over you. And then if you have questions, um, I'm more than happy to answer them. Father, you are good. You are so good. I just stand in awe of you. Lord, who am I that you would love me? And yet you do. Who am I that you would ask me, that you would entrust the kids to me, but you do? And I don't take that lightly. And I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, that you've put them in positions of influence upon the future of families' lives. Lord, I just pray your blessing over them. I pray that you would infuse them with your spirit, with creativity that's bigger than them. Lord, I pray that you would just take everything that has just been packed into their brains today and help them to take it home and to begin to process and to begin to apply, to sort out how best they can maximize everything they've learned today. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, as we're trundling full speed toward Easter, Lord, I pray that we would just pause and we would just remember the magnitude of what this day means. Lord, may it be a memorial for us to remember. Thank you, Lord. In your name I pray. All right, what questions have you got for me? What's been rolling around in your head? An hour is just not enough for this, so I understand that. But is there anything just rises to the top for you in terms of questions? Yes. So I would say any ministry in your church. And what you want to do is have an understanding of your kids' spiritual gifts, skill sets. So my son is not going to stand on the platform and help lead worship. But my son loves tech. So he gets to stand next to people at the sound booth semi-regularly and help advance slides. For him, that is the pinnacle of service. My daughter, very musical. She's on the platform semi-regularly singing. So it's an individual, kid by kid, where they are spiritually, where parents are with them. Maybe they just want to be at the door, but you, you have to get to know those kids individually and find them. Even the youngest can do it, and I always part them with an adult. I always say, hey, this is your friend for today. Would you just help them show the ropes, do what they need? And so there's an adult who's right there, again, that mentor. Right there with them, showing them. Um, when people come in the door, here's what we do. We don't just go, here's a bulletin. Right? <laughs> we say, hi, we're so glad you're here today. And what adult doesn't love a smiling kid being like, here's a bulletin, <laughs> right? So you partner him with adults who are going to just show them the full opportunity. It's a, it's a really amazing thing to watch, actually. So, yes, we have two.
And so to answer that question about how do you get your boys involved in worship, that's how you do it. You get those oldest boys up on the platform as part of your worship team or as a part of your prayer team. They're modeling. They're involved. Because what it boils down to is they want to be doing something. So get them up there doing worship. It doesn't necessarily, I allow my boys not to do motions if they don't want to do motions. And what I say is, but you better be worshiping. And they are. So if they're modeling just worship or they're doing the, they're modeling, they're involved, and the trickle-down effect is real. Okay? Did you also have a question? Absolutely. Uh, and two, helping with in the kids' uh, events itself. I know uh, in the kids, the kids stuff that I run, the older kids who have aged out of it, and they mm-hmm. like uh, you know junior high, they they want to come back and help. Mm-hmm. And uh, you recently started a puppet show, which my wife and I thought was going was going to be a big dud, and everybody. Puppets are cool again, y'all. In case you didn't know that, they're back. Now, let me just add to that. I require a one-year gap. If they have aged out of my program, they need to be out and in the sanctuary. So they're allowed to come back in and start serving after a year. And that's because I want them to be a part of the larger community of the church. And they may be active in service out in that area. But I don't let them come back into my children's church as a leader until after a year post-aging out. Then once they come back, it's a once-a-month obligation because, again, they're still needing to be in the main service. I disallow them from weekly uh, in children's church. So what I usually say is, yeah, you can be in children's church. You can do that once a month. And then, I mean, you can do cafe. You can do ushering. You can help them, you know. So they feel like there's a lot of opportunities. One of them's back here. The rest are out here. Okay. So, yes. Oh, you have a question? Yeah, So do you have do you have somebody in your church that is interested in music that you could tap first of all so that you're tapping into somebody who does have a passion for that because kids are really aware if you're like oh this is not my favorite part you know they get it okay so that would be my first suggestion my second is it doesn't necessarily have to be live worship Live worship is almost always better but if that's not something available to you there are all types of fabulous Oh, that scared me. Time's up, sorry. <laughs> There's all types of fabulous resources. You can look on YouTube and you can find kid versions, lyric videos on YouTube of, of well-known songs or kid-specific songs that you can utilize within yours. And that's, that's for the most of my career, is what we did. 
Okay, let's speak to that for a minute. Here we go. Listen, your fourth and fifth grades are listening to adult music. So for us to say that's too mature for this age group, if it's kid-specific lyric videos, or if it's the song they're doing in the adult service, actually I think that's a good thing because they're sitting in children's church, they're singing the same songs that mom and dad are singing, and then they get in the car and they're all humming the same songs. So we have to work through that, okay? We have to um, help the people who say, that's too grown up for elementary, and say, actually... It's really not. I mean, their exposure to the graphic and the visual element of their world, um, it, it means, this is that cool factor, it means our kid lyric videos and things have to be at that level too. They have to be up in that, in that arena. There definitely are preschool appropriate songs and, and the two are not the same. So you need to find a way to differentiate. This is great for preschool, but this is okay for elementary. In fact, this is great for elementary. Yeah, yes? So I just wanted to say, that um, for me, I get the most out of worship, the music side of it. But anyway, as a parent, um, so my little guy, he's now five. But in um, the you know kids' mornings, we've been doing the cross has the final word a lot so that they learn it. It just fills my heart when my five-year-old is singing the cross has the final word, and he yeah. may not get all of it. Like, we did Heaven's Gate Tells Flames, for any of you who've seen it, um, in the very beginning, they showed Jesus dying on the cross. And my little guy saw that, and at first I thought it would scare him, but he told me, you know what, Mommy? Jesus killed all that bad stuff inside my heart, and he lived in there, so they get it. Yeah. So they'll, they'll get some of the adult music, and it just fills a parent's heart when they come home from church and they're singing that stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not supposed to be crying. No, well, we all cry. So here's what I would say. Two things. Let's not shortchange our kids. Okay? They get it. They can get concepts, and they'll get it progressively as they get older. So we're laying foundation upon which we can lay and lay and lay. So therefore, I'm going to step on a soapbox. Stop singing songs that are nothing but oohs and ahs. These ooh, 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 drive me crazy. What a waste of an opportunity, okay? If it has it in the interlude and we get back to very concrete, very uh, solid and meaty, great. But let's not do too much. That's just a lot of oohs and ahs and bebops, okay? Absolutely, there's room for that fun, okay? I am um, I'm a fan of it. I love to dance. But let's not waste all our time. Okay, all right, off my soapbox. Yes? So, my seven-year-old absolutely loves praise and worship. Yes. And our um, children's pastor actually sent me a text because she's like, he's always saying, you know, can we do this song, Miss Sue? Can we do this song? She said, I realized that all the other kids know it and love it. It's from what we listen to in 93 and whatever. And so, where I'd say to you, find somebody in there who actually, she asked me, can you give me a list of like five, seven songs? Yeah. There's so much good here. We could talk a long time. So our time is up.